Freedom Hut. Riots rage on in Portland. A D.C. mask mandate that exempts lawmakers. The New York Times has some thoughts on nice white parents. Cuomo's war on chicken wings. And Pompeo says China's free ride is over. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It is Friday in the end of July. And oh, my gosh, the election is going to be here very soon. The summer is going to be over soon. It certainly doesn't feel like a summer. We all know that much. It has felt like we're living in some alternative universe. Uh, still haven't gotten that margarita out on the street with producer Mark, but we're, we're working on it. You know, first the pandemic has to stop or the pandemic panic as well has to go away. Then these things become a lot, a lot easier. We have much to discuss today. I wanted to start if I could with the Fouch, Dr. Fauci, you know, he's become a bit of a celebrity. He's become kind of a big deal. You know, he's not saying he's too big a deal, but you know, I mean, is he? Could you argue that he's saving the entire human race? Could you argue that he's the most important person on planet Earth? If you're a lib who believes all the propaganda, you probably could argue those things. But he threw a pitch last night from the uh, from the mound to open up. Uh, what was it, Bruce and Mark? The Nats game. Yes, and the first game of the MLB season. National. There we Yankees. go. First game of the MLB season. And everyone, everyone jumped on the joke right away because it was about as accurate as his predictions about the pandemic from the beginning have been. Uh, He kind of managed to throw it sideways, which I think was a surprise to people. I don't even know he could really do that. But, uh, you know, it was like when you're if you've ever played golf, which I've only done a couple of times, I somehow managed to slice it so that I almost hit the person standing next to me in line at the driving range. That's that's kind of the way Fauci threw the pitch. So anyway, that's that's the Fouch. No, no big, uh, no big whoop on that. And then you've also got now I'm now I'm sounding like Fouch all the time. I'm like, you've also got uh, the uh, RNC convention in Jacksonville has been uh, has been shut down. I mean, they're not going to do it. Canceled. That's the word I was looking for. They're not going to do the RNC convention in Jacksonville. I, I I'm I'm mixed emotions on this one. I, I feel like they're they're giving in to the panic again, but I also understand that it's become uh, so so entrenched in the minds of of many, many millions of Americans that if, if only we hide from this thing, everything will get better, that the political price you pay for trying to stand up and say enough is enough. Let's let's go back to living our lives. The political price may be too high. So being right when it comes to COVID-19, being right when it comes to the Wuhan coronavirus, which we don't really call it that anymore. I guess we gave up fighting over the name. Trump does call it the China virus, but which always upsets the Democrats. They don't like that. They don't like that anybody would ever say China virus. China. Um, But here we are. Understanding that the election is going to happen pretty soon and we're in a very, very different campaign season than we could have ever anticipated where there really aren't campaigns happening. 
I mean, they're not they're not doing rallies. Uh, People keep asking me, do you think there'll be a debate? I think there'll be one debate. I don't think it's going to be a, a deal breaker either way, unless Joe Biden, you know, falls asleep in his applesauce up at the podium. I mean, if that happens, then you probably have a, a, a bit of a look. There's still there are people who would vote for Joe Biden. And, and I mean this. There are people who would vote for Joe Biden, uh, even if it, it became obvious that he was uh, medically, you know, incapacitated from a cognitive ability standpoint that they would vote they would vote for him anyway they wouldn't care the whole idea would be well then his vice president just takes over so people who are saying oh just wait until the debates yeah you're fighting over that two to three percent of independents and swing voters and i know base turnout can also matter in these states a lot too but really if if it's going to come down to swing voters in the key states a small slice of the pie my friends and whether they're going to change their minds about biden in a debate performance or not very much remains to be seen i only think there'll be one debate i don't even know what the latest talking points are from from both parties on this one Uh, but i i can't imagine it's going to be much more than that um you know the 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 best advertisement for the trump presidency right now is what's going on in cities like Portland, uh, what's going on in American cities across the board, where you have Democrat governance on display failing, and beyond that, very specific policies and ideas that Democrats have adopted, blowing back on normal people, and showing that at the heart of the Democrat Party, there's a mob mentality, uh, there's a, a lack of respect for uh, rules that are universally applicable, also known as principles. There's a lack of respect for rule of law. And what they're doing is madness. It's absolutely madness. You know, Portland had its, I, I don't know, 50, almost, it's almost 60 days now of nightly protests downtown. Almost 60 days of this uh, insanity. And they had uh, a moment where they were uh, singing And this was really straight out of a cult. This was really straight out of some kind of religious movement. When I saw this, I I almost couldn't believe it. But you had about 2,000 protesters. So remember, this isn't one or two bad apples, or this isn't, you know, a, a handful of crazy people. This is the Democrat base. They're nuts. They're nuts. And they gather together, and they say absurd things, and they lie and they chant and they scream and they hate cops and they hate Trump. And that's all they know. You know Trump really, for, for the left, uh, they view him because he has this this uh, alpha male old school mentality about things like right and wrong and people should be held accountable and everyone should be expected to behave and to obey the law, even if they think they have a really important political message. Uh, they, they view that as as fascism. That's what you've learned. They have no real idea of what if uh, fascism would be. And that's that's even more interesting because what they want to impose on all of us increasingly sounds like or would look like fascism um, would be fascism. He, here is Portland last night. They're all they're singing a lullaby. Let's see if you can make out the words. Play clip three. Sing it with me. Hands up. Hands up, please don't shoot me. Hands up, please don't shoot me. 
up, please don't shoot me as a lullaby from a lullaby tune. These people are, are, are sick in the head. First of all, hands up, don't shoot. We all know what that is a reference to. Mike Brown, who attacked a cop and was killed, and it was justified. That is according to the Obama Department of Justice. That is according to multiple black eyewitnesses to the event. They don't care. They don't care. It's too emotionally powerful. People would rather believe the lie. So they still say, hands up, don't shoot, as if that is what happened. They're all just propagating a lie. It's a myth. And now they're singing a lullaby to it, which really brings in this this bizarre additional layer of what are, are they worried that cops are going to shoot children now? What are they what are they suggesting? What a what a strange and and morally bankrupt move. Thousands of people singing hands up, please don't shoot me to a lullaby. I, I, I sit here and say, if we had honest journalists and an honest press, they would be tearing this whole thing apart as completely counterproductive and, and really just all like playing revolutionary. You know, it's really just all going through the motions. At the end of the day, they're, they're still going to want a government there to provide them with, you know, the uh, universities where nobody has to actually do any homework, but you get a degree. And, you know, the government's going to send you a check when you're an unemployed Ph.D. student. And, you know, they, they still want all of that. They still want their socialism. So they want a state in place. They're not really anarchists. That's that's all just posturing. Uh, and ultimately, the most important thing is that they get to show up and feel important and powerful and express resentment. So much of what is behind this movement, BLM, Antifa, the statue toppling, there's just people out there who have built up this massive reservoir of resentment. And that's right, I'm going to play, you know, mass psychologists right now. It's resentment that comes from people who didn't have enough of a moral grounding at home with the family. Yeah, I'm going to say it who feel like they've suffered because the state didn't step in enough and make up for the failings of the family, who don't ever want to be told that their decisions or that their their personal uh, or professional, you know, not measuring up is on them, right? That's why you have these you know, white liberal women who are like 25 screaming in the face of cops, because... Ah, they're, they're finding out that the things that they've been told that will make them happy, the things that watching MSNBC and reading the New York Times that, that have, have told them will make them happy. You know, don't believe don't believe in God. Don't build a family. Family isn't important. Gender isn't real. Have sex with as many people as you want, as often as you want, everywhere and anywhere. And don't even think twice about it. These things that are just through a fire hose blasted out onto our culture all the time have real effect and people have made these decisions people have have now seen i mean once you get to be in your late 20s and early 30s you start to realize life choices matter and your your philosophy about how you live your life matters and you can either self-correct if there are some deficiencies try to make yourself better understand that humility is a process of growth 
right? That once once you will embrace humility and understand that you're not as amazing or perfect or wonderful as perhaps you thought you were, or in other cases for people who have to deal with just crippling insecurity to know that that's also deeply destructive and that they should uh, allow themselves to be kinder to themselves. I mean, there's there's all of the, and this is why we need you need family structure, relationship with the community. Yes, religious belief. I know people like to just mock and laugh at that these days. If, if for, at least for the at least for the philosophy and the community that it provides, even if somebody's not a a pure and true believer, no these these days our our sense of of community is online politics. Get people, be woke, cancel culture. Yeah, that's what motivates a large portion of our country day in and day out. That that's what they think is really important. This this fight for justice that they're all a part of. By saying horrible things to people. I mean, the stuff that I see, you know, when the president. And it's, I mean, I'm not, it's not like a humble brag or something. You all know he retweeted me eight times in a row. Just put aside that, you know, that's pretty cool. I appreciate what the president does that. But he's got 80 million followers. So when when the president's 80 million person Twitter feed is Buck Sexton for you know eight tweets in a row, pretty much. You get a lot of crazies coming out and they're all these people are so emotionally and psychologically damaged. I mean that. They're deranged. The stuff that they say and the threats and just the the bile and the evil. Oh, you know, I mean, the, the tame stuff is that you don't care about dead people from COVID-19. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, I know people who have died from COVID-19. Uh, I, I, of course I get. But why would why, why would someone want to believe that about their fellow human being, about their fellow American? Because that's much easier. That self-righteousness feels much more fulfilling to people who are vapid, who are empty, who don't really have much to contribute to the society around them. So what do they do? They look for excuses and they look for belonging. They look for purpose. And that's what you see with thousands and thousands of people gathering together in cities all across the country who are all libs, who are all Democrats, embracing lies, believing grotesque exaggerations, abandoning social distancing. Right. So we all know that's all a big fraud. Oh, oh, this is fine. Where's the media shaming them? I saw the videos. A lot of them have masks totally down, very close quarters. I always say outside is not a big risk from COVID. I mean being normal outside. I wouldn't go outside and stand in a group of 100 people shouting and spraying virus into the air with whoever's infected. No, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you probably can get infected that way. But it's it's never about the truth, you see, because the truth is painful and libs find all these different ways to avoid it, to push it aside. The truth about their own individual decisions about who they are. That's why they latch on to these movements. That's how you have all these adults singing lullabies about hands up. Please don't shoot me. They're singing a lullaby in a grotesque fashion. I mean, it's just bizarre what they're doing about a lie. No one's trying to shoot them. And the only cops that are around them when they're doing all this stuff are there to protect basic law and order, including people who just want to go about their lives and aren't deranged leftists. You know, we're seeing a lot of what you'd have to you'd have to understand as mass mental illness on the left. And it's the combination of the stress of the lockdown 
with the anti-Trump derangement that Trump is a fascist and he's destroying the country and he's a he's a Klansman. He's an evil racist. He's a neo-Nazi. People who already believe that you add the stress of this lockdown and the prospect of possibly four more years of Trump, they can't handle it. So they sing idiotic nursery rhymes and look like a bunch of fools while they destroy and ruin and pretend that they're making something better. As I have been telling you, Black Lives Matter, all of these leftist movements out there right now that are mobilized, they have made everything worse for everyone, paradoxically, including themselves. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The use of stormtroopers under the guise of law and order is a tactic that is not... uh, yeah. appropriate to our country in any way. It is so un-American no. what has happened. It is so in keeping with third world countries and dictatorships. You haul somebody off the streets, don't tell them who you are, why you're doing it, etc. It's also unconstitutional. Pelosi, Schumer, total frauds. Disgusting, disgraceful, unethical people. Power-hungry maniacs. Not even ideologues, just the worst kinds of politicians. Give the mob whatever it wants as long as they vote for you and you get to be powerful and rich and live your life as you see fit. That's that's really the the Democrat model. Right. Keep people keep people in a state of rage and dependency. And then at the very top of the pyramid of Democrat rule, you have people that are always going to talk about how it's it's all you have to do is vote for those Democrats and they'll make things better. This is the big this is the great lie at the heart of the Democrat Party. But Pelosi and Schumer here have not a word, not a word to say about the attack on federal courthouses, uh, about the attack on United States federal law enforcement officers. And Pelosi seems to think if you work for DHS or FBI or you name it, U.S. Marshals, you're a stormtrooper. That's what she's saying. Reckless, brainless. And the media just goes along with this. Not a word about the destruction and the riots. These are riots. They're not protests. It is rioting that is going on. Pelosi and Schumer are fine with it, though. People are abject frauds. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't want to get people too nervous here. Uh, but we have a president who really does not believe in democracy. This is a president who is trying to suppress the vote. Uh, this is a president who has contempt for Congress, ignores what Congress does. This is a president who does not respect a free press in America. The First Amendment, he thinks the media is an enemy of the people. And now what this president is saying is, I don't care what mayors say. I don't care what governors say. I am the president. I will send federal troops or federal agents any place in this country. That is, Andrea, what a police state is about. That is what a movement toward authoritarianism is about. Bernie Sanders is a a complete demagogue. I mean, this guy has just been saying the same crap for decades. Thank God he's never going to be president. So at least we can whew, we, we, we dodge that one. But here he is, not a word about the violence that these protests, uh, riots, even I fall into the trap sometimes, that these riots are engaging in. 
They don't even feel the need. I mean, the Democrats really think that they can just get away with anything. They don't even feel the need to uh, to mention that there is a nightly riot destroying property, breaking laws in Portland. If we had a real press corps, you know what they'd ask Bernie Sanders when he when he goes on this? I mean, not Andrea Mitchell. She's a joke. Uh, you know, you know what they would ask? They'd say, do you, do you think that the laws against vandalism should be enforced? Do you think people should be able to destroy public property? You see, if they were willing to at least say, no, we think that you should be able to destroy whatever whatever public property you want. Okay, well, guess what? That means a whole lot of folks can start painting MAGA signs all over Democrat run city buildings. Can't do anything about it. We know they, of course, would never allow that. You know, they'd, they'd call out the sniper teams against people with MAGA hats on if they were doing this. But sure enough, sure enough, they continue with their false narratives. Just lies, lies. Yeah. The devil is the Lord of lies. Democrats and the devil are very close together, aren't they? Just constant lying about important things. Not about a crowd size at a rally. Not about, a you know, I'm the greatest or the most amazing at this or that or whatever. It's not bravado they lie about. It's core matters of this country. Does everybody have to obey the law or no? If you have a really important Democrat grievance, you get to do whatever you want. Is that the country we live in now? Should that be our expectation? I'd like to know. I think it's only fair that we understand that right now. Bernie Sanders. Not these people. They're not even smart. I don't know what else to say. They're not even good at anything other than being demagogues, other than just being you know, slimy salesmen for the socialist message of the Democrats that they then pretend isn't socialism. He's talking about authoritarianism. We have Democrats telling you you can't eat food in a restaurant unless they tell you that it is substantial enough to order your booze with, right? You, you can't just sit there and say, oh, I'm going to have some potato chips with my drink. We'll get into this, but... Uh, is, a, is a hot dog a sandwich? I don't know. Does a, sa- a sandwich is substantial food for the purposes of eating during COVID. Is a hot dog also a sandwich? I'm going to wait into this debate. Are chicken wings substantial enough for somebody to order, for, uh, order a drink? We are living in a petty tyranny right now, a real one. And they say that the authoritarianism is Trump trying to stop the destruction of public property, the desecration of statues and war memorials, and to prevent arson of federal buildings. And they say that's the authoritarianism. They hope that you don't recognize, they hope the American people don't wake up and see that the mob is its own kind of authoritarianism. The mob is its own version of total control right controls you they don't have total control but they will control you whatever the mob decides on any given day authority notice how sanders even slipped into something in federal troop uh, not troops law enforcement officers law enforcement officers the same laws that give those officers the right to be in these u.s cities and to enforce laws You know, what about constitutional rights, folks? What about 
the, you know, what, what about the right of citizens to be uh, to be secure in their persons and effects? What about the right of citizens to be able to go about their day freely, engage in commerce, all these things? R- riots are illegal. Destruction of property, threatening people in a mob, attacking police. These are illegal acts. Democrats, though, are the party of lawlessness. I am hoping. I am hoping there is a huge. A huge backlash brewing from this, and maybe we don't see it until Election Day, but I see I. That's going to require so much discipline. But there's this part of me that would like to think everybody who voted for Trump the last time around knows that he he did a good job up until the pandemic. The pandemic has made the country a far less happy, less prosperous place while it's ripping through this whole United States, which is what's going on right now. Regardless of all the lockdowns and all this, the the virus is going to hit us very hard. I hope that everybody who voted for Trump before comes out again. And and sends the single best message possible to all these statists, these liars, these pathetic, whiny, disgusting, uh, pseudo revolutionary socialist Democrats. They're all Democrats doing this, you know, and the people that are so vicious all the time to anybody that says something they don't like at their company or that wants people fired. Cancel culture. This is all coming from Democrats that pretend that they care so much about racism and America is such a horrible racist society when the only laws we have that are, in fact, racially, uh, racially preferential are against white people in the form of affirmative action and against Asians in the form of affirmative action. That's just the fact. Uh, I, I hope, I hope and pray that we, we achieve a measure of justice from the ultimate extended middle finger to the Democrats across this country that they so greatly deserve um, because what they've done to try to tilt this election to their side is make America miserable again. They've hurt the country. They are hurting people. They don't care. They are reckless. They have no principles. The only thing that, that I can think of that will achieve some measure of justice in all of this is if they have to wake up in November and realize that Trump is going to be their president for four more years. That's the only way. And and they're not going to stop this agitation, this insanity, but at least there'll be that moment of sweet, sweet justice and hearing them cry and scream and wail over this. When at the end of the day, we can be very secure in knowing not only did their shenanigans, did their scorched earth tactics fail, but the whole country, including for them, for better or for worse, is going to be a much better place if Donald Trump wins four more years. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I don't see this disappearing the way SARS-1 did. The reason I say that is that it is so efficient in its, its ability to transmit from human to human, that I think we ultimately will get control of it. I don't really see us eradicating it. I think with a combination of good public health measures, a degree of global herd immunity, and a good vaccine, which I do hope and feel cautiously optimistic that we will get, 
I think when you put all three of those together, I think we will get very good control of this. Yeah, there it is. Never going away, folks. This is what he's telling you. It's going to be out there. It's going to continue to be a thing that we have to be at least aware of, concerned about. And now we have set a very dangerous precedent as a country for the effectively unlimited powers of those in charge based upon a public health threat. Because there'll be plenty of public health threats. This is not the last time this will happen. And notice how he mentioned herd immunity there. One of the one of the the tactics of the lockdown libs and the propagandists out there has always been the moment you mention herd immunity, they do this thing of how many lives are you willing to lose? Herd immunity, herd immunity, they act like is a a massive form of, of human sacrifice. What they don't understand is the virus is doing what it does. And herd immunity is as a species, as a human species, uh, our protection against this over time. And this has been around for as long as there have been human beings getting diseases. But to even bring that up, you open yourself up to the attacks of why don't you care more about grandma and grandpa? This is not going away entirely anytime soon. And and even with a vaccine, there'll probably still be outbreaks of it. I I think what we're going to find out is that there are versions of this that and this is a guess. I don't know. But just from what I read of experts who are talking about this, it's probably going to be like seasonal influenza where you get a vaccine against this perhaps every year and it's somewhat effective. And then when you add that to uh, you add that to antibodies and T cell immunity, you're pretty much okay. But I, I don't I don't know why anyone is uh, thinking that this hasn't established an incredibly dangerous precedent for us. They they told us what the metrics were for reopening, for example. They said, OK, guys, sorry. You know, New York's the perfect example of this. We can't let you go back to your life until this is where the cases are. And this is what the resources are to deal with this. And then after months of misery, we get to that level and they go, yeah, I'm sorry. Still not going to let you have your life back. What's what's the mechanism we have in response to this? What are we supposed to say? Because remember, these are one party states, unfortunately. And Democrats, you know, God, God forbid they put somebody in charge who's not devoted to the practice of abortion always and at every time during a pregnancy in order to give us somebody who also might be better on the economy and law and order, you know, but you can't vote for a Republican. They're anti-choice racists, right? That's what and that's all that the Democratic Party has had to do. Convince people of those two things and and you can't have Republicans just do a better job in governance. That that doesn't matter to them. Um and, and of course, as we know, this is always I, I, I'm stunned somewhat to see, you know, I, I tweeted out uh, it was from bucksexton.com, which is a great site where you should all be uh, scoping it out daily. We've got stories posted every day. Um, I I got to tell you, when you look at uh, the responses, including from some some celebrity blue checks now now you know when the president does all the retweets then the celebrities come after me the actors the musicians you know the people that have like a fifth grade reading level but because they have a a very good looking face or a very you know pleasant sounding singing voice we're all supposed to want to hear their idea about how to handle massive economic and epidemiological challenges as if they've read a book in the last 20 years but anyway i know t swift's album came out last night oh t swift we could have been something. Uh, I didn't listen to it yet. So, Producer Mark, do you ever listen to Taylor Swift? 
My wife is obsessed with her. Had a feeling. Yep. See, I knew that the answer for Mark was no, but I also know that producer Mark has Mrs. Mark and that all the ladies, especially of that age group, love the T-Swift. So it's a true, it's a true thing. So we have uh, the, the usual uh, demagoguery from Sanders and others about how uh, there's been a rejection of science here, and that's why Trump has he, Trump is responsible for so for so many deaths. Uh, play fourteen. But we have got to come together uh, to defeat a president uh, who is a pathological liar, whose rejection of science has led to the unnecessary deaths of thousands of thousands of people during this terrible uh, pandemic, who is, in fact, a racist and a sexist and a homophobe and a xenophobe. So our major priority is to defeat uh, Donald Trump, bringing people together. Second of all, we are working hard with some success in electing progressives, strong progressives to the Congress, uh, to uh, state and local positions all over this country. And thirdly, uh, our movement is going to continue keeping its eye on the prize. Did Bernie leave anything out there? He's a sexist, he's a homophobe, a misogynist, a xenophobe, agoraphobe, arachnophobe. Just wondering how many phobes we can all Put in there as a a trichodecaphobe scared of number 13 very scared of it so yeah there there you have it bernie sanders telling you that trump has rejected science meanwhile he's got his top science people out there all the time talking about this virus and everything that's going on with it and how he can react to it and where we are right now dr burks she of the designer scarf fame telling you look it's bad right now you got three things going on that are like three new yorks which i don't think that that's really accurate but we'll see what the numbers tell us play 18 i mean we already starting to see some plateauing in these critically four states that have really suffered under the last four weeks so texas california arizona and florida those major metros and throughout their counties and i just want to make it clear to the american public what we have right now are essentially three new yorks with these three major states and so we're really having to respond as an american people and that's why you hear us calling for mass and increased social distancing to really stop the spread of this epidemic to stop the spread i thought it was to bend the curve why is it stop the spread because people don't have the courage who are in positions of authority to look the american people in the eye and say we can't stop this thing that's it you can hide for two weeks and then not hide and the virus will still be out there so then what happens is it's you can hide for two months. Oh, no, make it four. Oh, no, make it six. Let's make it a year. Rolling lockdowns. Oh, roll. Serious lockdown, less serious lockdown. Seriously, the economic damage from this is going to be catastrophic. You can't feel it yet. You can't see it yet. It is like a cancer within our economy that is metastasizing quietly. There aren't a lot of symptoms. By the time we see what is going on with this, it will be too late. Our economy is going to go into a tailspin if we keep doing this. And I think there are a lot of Democrats who even know that. But as long as it's on Trump's watch, they don't care. In fact, I think it's great. Biden can come in just like Obama with a, an economy in a cyclical freefall. And no matter what, they'll be better than that when they have to get up for reelection. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ireland is a country I've never been to. I've always wanted to go. And in fact, once travel is restored as a, a thing that we're allowed to do or that people are telling us it's safe to do, I, I've got to add Ireland to the top of the list. I think I'm about half Irish by ethnicity. Uh, so, or, you know, by background, whatever, heritage. And uh, from what I understand from friends of mine who have lived there, I had a friend years ago who did a PhD. He was an American who did a PhD in Ireland. Uh, that it's like Europe's version of Cuba. That Ireland has the politics, uh, the politics of Brooklyn with slightly funnier accents. That's and I've never been, but this is from people that I know and from conservatives that I know. That's what they tell me. Ireland's a very left wing place, which is a shame. Um, But there's still there's a tradition of great writers and thinkers from that little island. And there are some folks who occasionally come forward and have something interesting to say. This has just been going viral all over the Internet. Because we, ha- we have this debate always about masks now. And Dr. Fauci was at the baseball game and everyone took photos of him. He's up in the stands sitting next to two people and his mask is pulled down. There are two people there with him. I don't know if they're, I don't know if one's, you know, how much time he spends with them or if one was a member of his household. I don't know. But uh, yeah, of course, the mask mandate is going to be uh, selectively enforced. In D.C., any public official on the job, including members of Congress, not required to wear a mask. So you got a thousand dollar fine if you go out to walk uh, to walk Fido and you don't have your mask on. You get fined a thousand dollars in D.C., even if you're not near anybody. I mean, now we are enforcing laws for which there is no scientific basis and for which there is no harm you can point to. If I go outside in Washington, D.C., I'm in New York, obviously, but if I were to go outside in Washington, D.C. without a mask on and did not come within 10 feet of anybody the entire time, the risk that I'm putting other human beings to is zero. If I have covid, which, as we know, chances are overwhelmingly that any one individual will not. So we, we are establishing precedence in law here where there is no harm. There is no uh, appreciable risk, but there are still mandates. They can still tell you what to do. And there's much more going on here. There's much more going on here than just the fight over the science. I think about what I saw in Afghanistan years ago when I was living there for months on, on deployment from a CIA, and you would see women wearing uh, burqas. You know, full head to toe, often this this blue color. And it looked like a it looked like a tarp with gauze over the eyes. And when you see people walking around with that on, you understand that there is a there is a subjugation and a dehumanization that occurs with that. Because human beings, we we first identify other people by their faces and by and by their their body, the way they walk, the way they carry themselves. There's a lot of nonverbal communication and signaling that goes on with all of that. If you drape somebody head to toe in a formless tarp, basically, uh, their humanity becomes less immediately apparent. And it's easier for not only you to view them as, as a person to be subjugated, uh, but they themselves will feel more subjugated. They have less connection. Now, I understand a cloth mask that has, you know, go... 
I was going to say uh, Washington football team because you can't say Redskins anymore, right? Washington football team is now what it's called. A cloth mask that says that is not a burqa. I'm not, I'm not being uh, obtuse here. I understand that. But there's some similar attitude behind this in a country that is in a very bad place right now and that has been dealing with a lot of anxiety and separation and, and fear. To mask up everybody all the time is, is a symbol for some, but it's also uh, a, a symbol for some of their political allegiance, let's be honest about it, and of subjugation for others. Wear a mask, peasant. And as I've told you, we have gone, and this is a matter of record. This is not opinion. There is no argument about this statement. We have gone from the biggest public health authorities in the country saying, don't wear masks, to please wear masks, to wear masks or else. Because we have so much data to support this? No. No, that's not, that's not what happened. That's not the truth. And, and I'm starting to see people understand philosophically what this whole masking movement is really about. It's, a, it's become a political movement for a lot of people. I know there are other people that are frightened. They're scared. They think that this, this cloth on their mouth is going to... And we're never clear. Is it to protect you or to protect others? Depending on the day, I hear both. It, it can maybe do both, maybe do one, not the other. They don't know. The truth is they don't know. I don't know, but I'm also not mandating stuff based on what is unknown. This uh, Irish... Why was I talking about Ireland before uh, this? This Irish author, journalist, John Waters, who's uh, got, you know, hair like a guy from an 80s rock band. He's got very long hair in the back. That's kind of the way you can tell who this guy is. He um, he has a, a clip that's going viral. I want to I want you to hear what he and it's a little tough because he's got that thick brogue. But what he says I don't even know this guy's politics. I'll be honest. I never even heard of this guy before. I just know he's an Irish writer and journalist. I want you to hear what he says about mask wearing. Play the uh, play the clip, Mark. You know, we're, we're in a situation where absurdly and, and ludicrously, a government is ridiculously claiming that it is do, interested in saving lives and protecting people's health and is harassing a man with a, a health disability and dragging him into court because he refused to bend the knee to this tyranny. But also think, think about the fact that at the very height of this alleged pandemic back in April, there was no talk of compulsory masks. No. In all of May, when the, 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 the figures were dying away to nothing, there was no talk of compulsory May masks. In, in June, when there were no cases virtually at all, there was no talk of compulsory no. masks. Now, when it's all, it's all it's but gone. disappeared, it's gone. No, it's gone. It's gone. They are now bringing in compulsory masks. And the reason for that is they need visible evidence of terror. Yes. They need to create a visibility of the terror that they want to inculcate in the people. And that's why this is so important to them. These are really sinister people we're dealing with now. These are people that we previously thought of as people of our own kind, these politicians. We thought, well, we have to start thinking of them now as alien beings, as hostile beings to the Irish people. They are the enemies of the Irish people. 
clearly their intent. Because the mask is a way of denying the very human face of the person. It is a way of taking away the individual unique humanity of each person and turning us all into zombies and restoring us to a kind of animal state so that we no longer will look at each other coming down the street as Tom or Mick or Mary, my friend, my sister, my brother, but instead as a, as a, as a, as a, a festering mess of bacteria and viruses which is a danger to my health. Oh, you know, I have to get out of the way. This is what they are turning the humans to with this, this whole thing. This is, and I'm not saying that our people are responsible for thinking this up. They don't have the brains for that or anything. But this is what they are implementing. This is the thinking behind it, to destroy the spirit of the human person, the individuality, the personality, the conscience, the character of the human person. That is what this project is about. If you want control, you've got to dehumanize people. Because humanity inherently will fight against control. People will have individuality. We are different. We have different needs, different wants. And human expression, human bonds of affection, all of these things are standing in the way of full state control. But if you can create a conformity, if you can create a... Uh, a dehumanization process and bending of the knee all at once and do so in the name of protecting people's health, you've enhanced your state control dramatically. Remember this, friends, we have the BLM movement in this country telling us that they want to destroy the nuclear family. That is out in the open. They're they're honest about this. It's the only thing they really are honest about. Uh, and they tell us that they are Marxists. This was a movement founded by Marxists. So you have Marxists who want to destroy the family who are also big advocates of making sure that everyone has to wear masks all the time, right? Or at least that all the rest of us have to wear masks. Not necessarily the rioters. They can get a pass. Turns out the virus can't spread if you're protesting for social justice. Who needs social distancing when you have social justice? But this uh, Irish journalist understands exactly what's going on. And he he says this is evil. And I think he's right. I, I walk around now in New York and everyone's wearing these masks all the time and you can't see the, you, you, there's a lack of human connection that occurs. You can't really see who this person is. You can't see how they're reacting to you. You know, when you really think about it, there's so much of, of our connection that occurs from, from visual recognition of somebody else's facial, uh, facial movements and, and, uh, individual ways they react to you right that that's a part of our connection this is gone now and it's a constant reminder to people of what a a, a negative state the country is in and it is a constant reminder to everybody that there's a big problem out there and i'm not saying there isn't a big problem but this is not dealing with it this doesn't make it go away they're not honest about looking at where masking has been absolutely you know, inculcated into everybody's brains. And yet they still have a large number of cases. The outbreak still happens. The most likely place for you to get infected now, they're saying, is in the home. So there is something very he, he said it was evil. There's something very sinister about this project uh, of mass masking. I'm not saying everybody who masks is a part of it. And I'm not saying it's the only reason for it. But there can be sinister motives folded into what would otherwise be a 
reasonable or uh, good faith political position. Right? That, that's actually, I think, a, a constant in politics. There are people that are trying to accomplish sinister means through what they claim to be good faith ends or good faith, a good faith method methods. So I think it's um, I think it's just preposterous uh, that we're going through this. And I think it's really unsettling. And the fact that we don't have more people in the medical community, I, I speak to doctors who will say, look, they're they're playing fast and loose with the truth with you guys on this one, but they won't come forward. Because the doctors who are total psychopaths about how you must listen to the science, they're all libs, right? If you're a lib, you still think everyone should listen to you and do what you say and do what do what the science says. If you are even a moderate or a kind of apolitical or if you're a conservative and you work in medicine, you tend to just say, look, I just want to do I just want to work. I, I want to do medicine. I want to help people. I want to heal people. I want to practice medicine. I'm not, I'm not looking to make a, a big scene publicly about this. Unfortunately, the other side is always trying to make a big scene. Unfortunately, the other side sees this as another yet another opportunity to inflict their will upon all the rest of us. Um, but there, I, I think you should keep this in mind. There is something sinister about removing our individuality through government mandated. This is a this is a new thing. This isn't, hey, guys, wear a mask for your own safety. OK, it's up to you. This is the government saying you must do this. You must do this because we say so. We will punish you. We are forcing you to do this. What else does the government think they can force you to do? What's to stop them from saying that because of all the gun violence in this country, it's a it's a public health emergency um, that we seize. You know, we have to seize all of your guns. I know it's in the Constitution, guys, but no, no, this is an emergency. This is an emergency. We got to take all your guns. Everyone has to hand it all their guns or else they're going to prison. You'd say, Buck, that would never work. Okay, but do you think that that's beyond what they what what the the leftist hive mind thinks is within the within the realm of possibility? I don't. I think this is a test run. I think what we're seeing right now is that the people that seek total control over our lives are establishing that with the right narrative, and the creation of the right amount of fear, they can basically do anything they want to you. They can take away your rights, your freedoms, lock you up, lock you away, separate you from loved ones, separate you from your family, and think they're doing a good thing. Think that they are righteous in this process. As all the worst uh, people throughout history that seize power always do. Oh, it's always for the good of the people, right? Sure, it's always for the good of our democracy. Anyone really think this is democratic? What's going on? No, this is autocracy at work. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I'm talking about tyranny and authoritarianism and all these things. You're probably like, Buck, come on. Actually, no, you all know that that's real. But if if you're a little bit of a skeptic with how arbitrary, because that's the capriciousness of totalitarians is one of their defining characteristics it's this is allowed today it's not allowed tomorrow do this now don't do this later acceptable this week punishable next week right that's that's the real uh the the real reality of a totalitarian regime and you're starting to get a, a little bit of a taste of that with with governor cuomo in new york you have this in other states as well probably in uh California, where they really don't understand 
the things the way they do in New York. Their pizza's not as good. Here's, but all their chicken wings go well for chicken wings. We know we have to go to Buffalo. Buffalo has the best chicken wings. That's why they call them Buffalo wings. But what does the governor think of chicken wings specifically? Producer Mark, play clip four. To be a bar, you had to have food available. Soups, sandwiches, etc. More than just hors d'oeuvres, chicken wings. You had to have some substantive food. The lowest level of substantive food were sandwiches. So you can't, you can't serve alcohol to people unless you're giving them the lowest level of food, which is a sandwich. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, we're going to tell you probably not a sandwich, even though I think a hot dog is a sandwich. Producer Mark, is a hot dog a sandwich? No, it's a hot dog. Wow. Look at this. You think you know a guy. You think you know a guy. What's, why, why is that? Is a Philly cheesesteak a sandwich? Yeah. Why is a Philly cheesesteak a sandwich, but a hot dog is it's not? It's got two separate slices of bread. Is a chicken parm a sandwich? Hmm. Yeah. A hero is a sandwich. A Philly cheesesteak is a hero. So you're telling me that it is because of the binding between the clear two halves of the bread that a hot dog is in, it still does not qualify as a sandwich? Yes, because it's, it's not... You're only... It's just a hot dog. I don't know how else to describe it as other than a hot dog. Producer Mark is why the terrorists win. I don't know. Oh, hey. It's a sandwich, okay, people. Anyway, Cuomo is telling you this is a, and you might say, Buck, why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because they keep changing the rules every week on what food you're allowed to eat and drink booze. What the heck is this all about? What does this have to do with COVID? Oh, we don't want people sitting there and like, you know, lingering too long as they drink. What other freedoms are we not allowed to have? Based on what theory is this? I, I'm really serious. I don't know why they don't just tell you that you've only got 30 minutes to eat dinner if you're going to do. And this is only for outdoor. It's not even for indoor dining. It's for outdoor dining. People are just going along with this. They're going on. They are marinating in America's misery. That's what Democrats are doing. They're marinating in our misery. They, oh, yeah, we Trump. It's so awful. Just like, oh, just feel how terrible everything is. They love it. They love it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about nice white parents. I'd be asking, Buck, uh, that, that doesn't seem like something that we really need to get into right now. What, what does that do? Anything? Oh, no, 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 no. Remember, my friends, the libs, the Dems, they want you to be on guard constantly, constantly against the evils and perils of whiteness. There is, in fact, nothing that you can really say about how destructive and awful whiteness is that will not have the libs uh, nodding their heads with you. Yeah, yeah, whiteness is, is the word. I, I just want to know, we constantly criticize whiteness. A, a thought experiment. I'm just, I'm just going to work through this thought experiment with you. Uh, we, we criticize whiteness. Is anyone allowed to say anything that is good about whiteness? I just, I want notice that. If you said anything, whiteness can be, Talked is constantly talked about as a negative thing. 
And you know this. You can just do a Google search, you know, the perils of whiteness, how whiteness leads to white supremacy. Whiteness is bad. Whiteness, uh, you know, marginalizes everybody else. Blah, all this stuff, all this stuff. And all these people who think they're so smart and so clever, so intellectual, will will go into in-depth analyses of the dangers and downsides of whiteness. Is is it all bad? I, I, I just I'm not even going to try to answer the question. I just want to know. Is, is if whiteness is a thing that we're always told we have to confront and we have to and we have to berate, we have to defame, we have to uh, shout down whiteness, you evil thing. Is there anything about whiteness that is OK? And again, I would not even begin to answer the question because not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Is, there, is, is there anything about whiteness? That's a good thing. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I leave that to some I leave that to some of the uh, social justice experts out there. Is there anything about whiteness that we can say this this aspect of whiteness is good for all people? Right. It's just but if, if it is a thing ascribed to whiteness, if it's a trait that is part of whiteness, are we allowed to say that that trait of whiteness is a good thing? Oh, no, 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 no. Only bad. Only bad. Only allowed to do uh, the equivalent in Animal Farm. You know, when they're talking about uh by the way, you're looking for a book to read this weekend? Read it. It's great. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. Really shows an in-depth understanding of the rise of of the Soviets and the fight between Lenin and, and Trotsky and Stalin. And told through a story on a farm about animals. <laughs> but it's really good. But the, the sheep in Animal Farm are taught to bleat. Four legs good, two legs bad. That's what they say, meaning humans. And then at the, I don't want to, well, I'll, I'll give it away. It's an old enough book that I don't think the spoilers count. You know, at the end, when the pigs are walking upright, they've had to change that the two legs bad thing, right? But that's what they walk around. Four legs good, two legs bad. Um, and we, we're at a point now where we're being taught just whiteness, whiteness is bad. That all we do is talk about the bad aspects of whiteness. And if you want to even just say, well, hold on, is there another component of this that you, your people look at you like you're some kind of monster? What are, what are you talking about? No, no, no. We talk about how bad whiteness is all the time. That's, that's America now. How bad is whiteness? Um, and remember, it's a concept, right? This is, it, it's a construct. And if, if you're wondering, uh, you know, what's the latest example of, of this phenomenon I'm talking to you about, uh, it would come to you via... Uh, a trailer for a New York Times podcast. And I just I was talking to Mark about this before. Some of these podcasts that are th these mega uh, downloaded liberal podcasts, it's all OK. I'm reading something off a script and I'm going to kind of sound like this is the first time I've ever done this. But now let's get to the bottom of this case or something. I I'm always amazed to me, it's all sounds quite. I mean, there's a lot of production they put into it, but it actually sounds quite amateurish. And they do these they do these podcasts where it's like, oh, gosh, now I'm reading off a sheet of paper. And let's talk more about how we can all be libs courtesy of NPR. Like this is how they do podcasts. I, I don't know. I think it sucks. Well, that's me. Some of you are screaming Malta podcast, Buck Malta. I know. I know it's coming. It's coming. Um, not a word, Mark. Not a word. Not today. So I know I, he, he was getting an itchy trigger finger there to hop in on the malt because I have no excuse at this point. I'm just I'm just. Uh... 
All right. Back to the trailer for Nice White Parents uh, from the New York Times. That's what it's called. Nice White Parents. Producer Mark, please play it. They were dogged, these white parents, lobbying the city at meetings, writing letters, saying, don't build it there. It will inevitably be a segregated school. And we want our kids to mix with black and Puerto Rican kids from the projects. It's a decade after Brown v. Board of Education, they said. Schools should be integrated. There's an archive filled with letters where the parents wrote things like, we don't want our white children to be part of some, quote, small, white, middle-income clique. The Board of Education agreed, changed the entire plan, and located the building where the white parents wanted it. A few years later, the school finally opened. And then, none of them sent their kids there. Now, this is, I, I think this is a, a, a classic tale of liberalism, actually. And, and see, the, the way I haven't, I'm going to have to listen to this. You see what I mean, though, about the, and none of them sent their kids there. It's like, I don't know, it's like bad prompter reading from a local news host somewhere. And, you know, you know, KTSTWXY in, uh, you know, North, northern Idaho or something. You got somebody who's like, hello, I am reading off a prompter for your news tonight. Like someone who's not very good at that. I, I'm just, I think, anyway, and this is a little insidery baseball. I just don't understand how these podcasts, it all sounds kind of, a lot of them sound so nerdy. You know, look, I like podcasts that aren't the conservative. You know, Joe Rogan's podcast is, is really fun to listen to. I mean, there's good podcasts out there. I'm not saying that. But these New York Times NPR style podcasts that all these libs listen to, I'm like, this isn't good. Anyway, I guess they, I mean, they, get, a, they get a lot of downloads. So there's that. Uh, I'm going to have to listen to this because I, I think I know and I'll have to come back to you on whether I'm correct here. We know the chances of me being correct on this are very, very high. Not to be that guy, but it's true. What they're going to say, the big takeaway from this, just because I understand the liberal mindset, the liberal mentality, is white parents, you know, historically in the public school system in America, think they're helping, but they keep interjecting themselves in a way that actually makes things worse for black and brown students. And yeah, that's what that's what they're going to do. It's going to be about how white parents have historically not being helpful to the black and brown students in the public school system, even when they thought they were. And I'm sure that to bring the whole thing full circle, it'll be now we need white parents to be allies. And we need to, you know, this, this is all a guess. I, I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't had the time, but I, I have a feeling that's what it's going to be. What I take from it, or rather the thing that gets me so interested, is that their initial story here, and, and you know, I think it's funny because they pick one, from the 1960s, they could have picked one from from two years ago. Same ex- same exact situation, right? They're talking about it in the 60s because they don't want to upset the very liberal and woke readership. Now, you know, I grew up with two parents who were, were New York Times readers. The first newspaper that I ever read was the New York Times. My first newspaper subscription was the New York Times. I was, you know... I, I should have been one of them. I should have been one of these super woke libs based on the, the culture around me. The back, But I just kept, as I got older and older and kept reading and reading, I'm like, this is this paper's full of lunatics. What are they even talking about, right? Oh, and, and it's not, it's hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy and fraudulence of liberalism is what, is what I kept seeing more and more of and pushed me further and further to the right. You know, starting at about age 14, 15, like that's just not true 
They're saying things that are just not true. I don't like that. They're doing things that they tell others not to do. I don't like that. People ask me how I became a conservative. That's how. Seeing things that are seeing things happen that show you that people that say one thing and do another are hypocrites and that they don't uh, and, and that they don't see things with objective reality. OK, so back to this back to this story. I, I know that they're doing it in the 1960s because they're like, yeah, we don't want to upset. We don't want to upset our constituents by making it seem like we think they're hypocrites today. But libs, when it comes to education, are huge hypocrites. Huge hypocrites. Uh, and, and there's so many, whether we're talking about charter schools or talking about testing or talk, they're all, they, they, have, they have no arguments, they just have emotions and lies. That's the, that's, that's the center of the liberal education agenda and all this stuff. So, so with that, I, I want to bring to your attention... Um, the following in Brooklyn Heights. Remember before I said that Ireland is the Cuba of Europe or, or it's like Brooklyn with, with funkier accents in terms of its politics, very left wing. Brooklyn is as left wing as San Francisco. Like if you, if Brooklyn, if you broke it off from New York city, I think would be the third largest city in America. It's larger than any city in America except Los Angeles and New York. It's bigger than Chicago on its own. It's one borough of five boroughs in New York. So uh, Brooklyn, for me, is, is, the, is the heart of the lib insanity. I mean, that's where Hillary Clinton set up her 2016 campaign headquarters. You know, Brooklyn is just a, a political monoculture, uh, monoculture now. And particularly the, the well-known, hip, uh, affluent neighborhoods of Brooklyn are where you find the most sanctimonious, full of it. Oh, look at how woke and progressive I am. But I still want to live in like a $3 million apartment. Apartment. Or an $8 million, $10 million townhouse. Oh, there's plenty of those in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. There are, there are, there are more $8 million homes on two blocks of Brooklyn than you probably have in most U.S. states. Yeah, you want to talk about a concentration of wealth. So uh, the, the two areas that are, or I shouldn't say the two areas, but two of the areas, Brooklyn Heights is the richest area in Brooklyn. Park Slope is also very well off, but that's not really quite the same degree of, from what I understand, same degree of wealth. My family on one side is from Brooklyn, too. My grandparents were both born there. Their parents both born there. So I, I have some deep roots in Brooklyn. Again, I'm like a political traitor to the libs and all this and Brooklyn Heights has a public school public school eight and here's the story in the New York Times a couple of years this is all gonna make sense in a second especially as we're talking about school shutdowns and everything else just remember libs are huge frauds at public school eight in Brooklyn Heights this is the New York Times the auditorium stage is crowded with music stands that were stored there when the music room had to be turned into a first grade classroom the pre-kindergarten program was cut because of a lack of space. And with the school operating far above capacity, 50 families who live within its zone, which also includes Dumbo and much of another Brooklyn neighborhood, Vinegar Hill, very hipster high-end areas, were placed on a waiting list for kindergarten last spring. To the city, the solution for the overcrowding at PS8 seemed obvious. Move those two neighborhoods from PS8 zone into that of PS307, 
which is nearby and has room to spare. The proposal, however, has drawn intense opposition, and not only from the families who would be rezoned from the predominantly white PS8 to the mostly black PS307. Some residents of the housing project served by PS307 also opposed the rezoning, worried about how an influx of wealthy, mostly white families could change their school. For all its diversity, New York City, by some measures, has one of the most segregated school systems in the country. And although Brooklyn rezoning is mainly a response to overcrowding, it is becoming a real-life study in the challenges of integrating one of the city's schools. My friends, okay, this is, this is perfect. This is liberalism in action. When you're talking about neighborhoods like Brooklyn Heights and Dumbo, think of it like the most wacko left-wing precincts of San Francisco, of Northwest D.C., of, you know, these are the, this is the most pro-Hillary, pro-Bernie, pro-Biden place in America, okay? It is just, this is, you're going to have the most um, cultural pressure to conform to the left-wing agenda and view there. And, and a lot of affluence, a lot of very wealthy people, too. So that's you, you get the you get the Nancy Pelosi libs all crowded in together in Brooklyn Heights and in Dumbo and these places. And they've got an overcrowded public school. Now, these if you were to do the, the political affiliation of the people that send their kids to this public school in Brooklyn Heights, I, it is at least 90 percent. And I would guess 99 percent Democrat. OK, and I'm sure a lot of them are very politically active, sending donations to Hillary and the DNC and Planned Parenthood and everything. And every couple of years, this fight comes up again because they've got one school that's overcrowded where all the all these white liberals are sending their kids in this district. And then you've got another school that is predominantly black and has plenty of space. And the school system, you know, the school district says, hey, let's move some of the kids from the and the white liberal parents are all absolutely not. Absolutely not. They complete. There are people I've talked to people who have written up about attending these you know, school board meetings and it gets super heated. And, and you said, wait a second. Wait, what about what about diversity libs? What, what about, you know, bringing the you know, you got to bring the affluent white neighborhood with the. Uh, you know, more working class African-American neighborhood and and have the school come together. Oh, so you the, 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 the libs want diversity for other kids, but not their kids. What does that what does that tell you about the seriousness of their positions? Hmm. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I just want to say a quick word. Um, I remember when I was in college, I read conservative websites. As I've told you, I've been conservative for a very long time. And I used to read columns sometimes about Professor uh, Mike Adams's fights on campus for conservatism. And I sent him an email once and I just said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm like a junior in college and I'm just wondering how, you, you know, can I help or how do you do this? And he wrote me back a, a very nice a very nice email. And I was so surprised that he would write me back an email and said that, you know, he hopes that I stay in touch. And I never really spoke to him again, but I was really, that was the first conservative media, conservative you know, intellectual voice that I ever reached out to in that way. And I saw today that, um, 
he's passed away at UNC. And I just want to say um, rest in peace and God bless. And I appreciated that email he sent me many, many years ago. I never forgot it. Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a while since you all have heard from my buddy Kamal Ravikant. He is an author, entrepreneur, soldier, and as he puts it, a guy who just does stuff, and I think does some very cool stuff. His book, which is now out in paperback, and it is a smash bestseller, is Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Kamal, what's up, my man? How are you? Fuck. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me. So, so Former you, soldier. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was a while ago. I had much shorter hair then. 10th, 10th Mountain Division, right? Yeah, 10th Mountain. I was 11 Bravo Infantry Soldier. You're going to carry the M203. Uh, so, well, thank you for your service, so, uh, service, sir. Thank you so much. So let's, let's talk about how, how we're doing it. You're a guy who you invest in a lot of companies. You've built companies. You've been on the board of different companies. How do we get up and move it? How do we get up and move it again here, man? And how worried are you about small businesses if we're heading into another period of at least quasi lockdown nationally? Look, man, I think that's my biggest concern. I don't, I'm not concerned about Wall Street. I think it's so disconnected from actual reality on Main Street. You know, it, uh, just with the Fed printing the dollar. It's it's when I walk down, I'm currently in San Francisco, when I walk down the street and I see all these restaurants just struggling to survive, these stores struggling to survive, this is the backbone of America, you know, and so much of this has been gone is gone because of the big companies. And I don't think these can come back, you know, these these small retail shops and and restaurants that run on a month, two months of runway. And if we don't do something about it, these are not coming back and that's that's gonna cause a big, big uh, you know, whiplash effect that I don't know how we're we going to do. So we got to we got to figure out a way to open these. Yeah, we got to open back up. Um, what do you think the the long? You know, your guy also does a lot of tech investing and are connected to a lot of people who have been involved in some of the, the biggest stuff in Silicon Valley. Do you think that the telework, mm-hmm. uh, this telework telecommuting phenomenon that has been of necessity until now for a lot of people? Is this going to do you think this is going to last as in a lot of people that have realized they could work from home and be pretty productive are going to say, I don't want to go back into an office. And what does that do to the commercial real estate sector and just the economy overall? I mean, I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball, but that's kind of what you do. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's my day job. Right. Investing in the future. Uh, I would say commercial real estate is 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 going to have a hard time. Uh, everyone I talk to a company that I invest in. They're realizing just that need none. You know, they may still have offices, but not the kind that they used to have. And you know, which is a good thing and a bad thing. And also, business travel—it's not going to come back the way it used to. Man, I used to be on planes a couple times a month, and now I just don't have a desire to. I think also there's going to be a sense that there's so much savings that companies can have from doing that mm-hmm. Zoom call with a client instead of showing up to some. Especially, you know, it's one thing if you're doing dinners and you know all that stuff, but. If you're really just sitting down in some corporate office somewhere, you fly in, you fly out to sit down, shake hands and stare at someone face to face. Yeah, I think there are some intangibles of that human to human contact. But I feel like a lot of companies are going to look at this and say, you know, hop on a Zoom call. The video is clear. I mean, you know, uh, I can see you as we're doing this. The video is clear. The audio is good. You get a sense of the person and close the business that way. And we don't have to pay to put you up in the Marriott that night. Honestly, if I was building a company again, that's what I would do. It's better for the bottom line. I, you know, yeah, I remember I, being just 
Yeah, it's uh, just fundamentally better for the bottom line. It's good business. Uh, it's also going to create a lot of new opportunities. What, you know, are, what are what are the, the cases the for the, what are the cases for upside that you can make for us, Kamal? But what do you see? Uh, what do you see in the future for the economy for the, for American workers and businesses that we should be enthusiastic about? I mean, I think people really need, especially before we sell them off for their weekend. <laughs> you know, I, I want the Kamal the Kamal case for econ- assuming we reopen, which I know that's you know unfortunately out of your hands and mine. But assuming we get back to reopen, what is the Kamal case for economic optimism? Economic optimism. Actually, honestly, I have a bit of pep and pessimism right now. <laughs> Put that um, aside. You know, for the whole for the whole picture, but for an individual man, look. Uh, one thing I'm learning my career in Silicon Valley is there's always opportunity in any market, and usually the best companies, the best ones to bet on, the best uh, things are always founded in dawn market. You look at Google, you look at Facebook. That was after the crash of the dot-com boom. And I'm seeing many, many entrepreneurs who have actually pivoted from what was their livelihood to doing stuff online. And they actually, when they figure it out, what they used to do, but now doing an online version of it, they're making way more money and they're spending time with their families. So I'm seeing people actually start to do, that I know personally, do better than they were doing before. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a time for all of us are going to have to evolve with this. It's going to come down to the individual. You know, like if... And things that, you know, life has changed and there's not much we can do about that. So what are we going to do there? So one has to look for the opportunities that are available to them and actually go and create them. And it comes, comes back to the American spirit, you know, the entrepreneurship spirit. You're going to have to create uh, new things. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic for the individual. I'm a little pessimistic for the entire economy. All right. We'll, we'll take that. But tell us before we let you go, your book, uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, out in paperback now. You wrote this kind of for yourself and then shared it with other people and you just put it up on Amazon and it sold, you know, a gazillion copies and now it's in paperback and Mm -hmm. expanded format. Why, you know, people see they're like, okay, this guy's an entrepreneur, uh, former 10th mountain division involved in, in investing and, and all these different aspects of kind of the, the cutting edge of corporate America. What did people take from this book? Why, why, why should folks pick this one up and think that this is going to help them? Because, you know, I'll tell you, it's a self-help book not written by a self-help author. You know, it's a guy who's, who's very practical and me sharing how I worked in my inner self to actually change myself and change my life and, in a very practical, honest, real way, which is why this book does so well. And it's just about making yourself better using the thing we're wired for, which is love and giving it to yourself first. Very, very simple. Um, and I think it's successful because it works. And HarperCollins just published it in January, and it's coming out worldwide. And I'm getting emails from people like all over the world, which is amazing. You know, and it's coming out in all these different languages, telling me how it's affecting them. Nice. And uh, I think for times like this, I'm I'm hearing that you know that this book is really needed. So I hope you know people read it, get a lot out of it, and you're apply gonna, it. You're going to have to learn what thank you, uh, what thank you means in, in, or you know how how to say thank you in about sixty different languages, man. Kamal Ravikant, yeah, everybody. Pretty awesome. The book is Love Yourself Like Your Life Thanks, Depends brother. on It. It's on Amazon. Uh, go check it out. I've got a copy. I've read it. Uh, Kamal's a dear friend of mine. Great guy. And I think the book, uh, a lot of you will find very helpful, especially if you're going through a tough time, a challenging time personally. Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. That's the title. Kamal, my man, good to see you. We'll talk soon. Pleasure. Love you, brother. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, it is. 
is roll call time. But first, before we actually no, we can do the roll call. Uh, the intro, Mark, hit it. Go for it. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Yeah, weekend time. It's my dad's birthday this weekend. I want to say happy birthday to my dad, who uh, we'll just say he looks 50. So we'll say it's his 50th birthday. But that would mean that he had me when he was like 12. So that's technically not true. But happy birthday, dad. You're the greatest. Love you, big guy. And, uh, you know, thanks for teaching me to be a man and not be some little wimpy, evil commie. That comes from that comes from dad. Other great stuff comes from mom. But don't don't be a little wimpy commie comes from from pops. Um, Okay, let's uh, let's get to our voicemail roll call. Um, Remember, eight, four, four, nine hundred two, eight, two, five, eight, four, four, nine hundred buck. Producer Mark claims that someone keeps coming in, calling in, saying naughty figs on the voicemail. Producer Mark. Isn't there a way we could, like, block a number or something? How do we do that? I have no... I, I, don't, I wouldn't know his number. I, I only, you know... Yeah, I don't know. I was just trying to think of get something. Get one side. Um, no, it is, it is not true that the president is having an affair with my wife, because I don't have a wife. So the president having an affair with my imaginary wife as this person who keeps calling and <laughs> saying... I don't know why they think that's happening. That would be fun, though. Um, to uh, not not fun, but you know, funny. I should say that would, that would be fun. I think you're proving his point. <laughs> I meant that would be funny if that were actually like a, you know, a thing that we're going on. Right? It would be quite a tabloid story. The president's having an affair with conservative talk show host's wife. Like that would turn into a big mess. Um, but I don't have a wife, guys, so we don't have to worry about that. There is no wife. All right, let's get to it. Um. Play it, producer Mark. This is Tom from Colorado. I wanted to point out the irony in Mayor Lightfoot's Karen statement. This is the same vain mayor who broke her own stay-at-home order to get a haircut because, I quote, she is the face of Chicago. Well, now the face of Chicago's incompetence in governance resulted in millions of dollars of damage, yet she feels entitled to millions in federal aid. Who is the true Karen in this situation? Tom, clearly Tom from Colorado is not happy with uh, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, and uh, I can understand why. She's doing a very poor job in that city and uh, d- does not come across as, as, a, as a... Look, it doesn't come across as a, as a uniter, <laughs> that's for sure. Although she is going to allow, tr- allow, quote, Trump to send in federal law enforcement officers, so there's that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. People... Uh, People have been telling me that the term Karen's been around for a long time. All right, look, I, I'm not I'm not falling on my sword on this, but I don't really care. People want to use Karen. It doesn't upset me, but I just I just kind of think that it, it has become a, a term that people use. And I think mm, I'm, I'm iffy. I'm iffy on it. I'm iffy on it. But I'm, op- I'm open to suggestion. I'm not always right. Just like 90 percent of the time, maybe 99. All right. Next one. Hit it. Hey, guys, it's uh, great to uh, hear a fellow millennial do such a great job. By the way, this is Andy from Cleveland. And on a lighter note, Buck, never apologize for being a soccer fan. I was 6'3", 280. Everyone thought I should play football, played soccer in high school, college, loved every second of it. I would host World Cup parties at 4 a.m. when they were in Japan. 
So soccer is the greatest sport in the history of the world. So please never apologize for being a soccer fan. Love you guys. Bye. We love you too, Andy. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. That's uh, yeah. Look, I play. I played soccer all the way up through high school. Um, was the captain of my high school team in New York, and then coached soccer later on for my high school. So I do secretly kind of love the sport. Um, did not play in college. Rode crew in college, which was really just a an excuse to make myself work out. And then I stopped rowing crew and proceeded to get very cuddly from all of the uh, eating of chicken wings and drinking of beer. Uh, but Annie, great to have uh, some Team Buck Cleveland in the house reaching out. And uh, good to know we got some, uh, you know, 6'3", 280 folks on Team Buck in case we got to deal with some crazy Antifa when we do the Team Buck barbecue sesh. So there you go. Next one on our audio roll call. Hit it. Hi, Buck. This is Luann calling from the red Soviet state of Ohio. And I wanted to ask a real quick question. If math works so great, why did the virus spread in China, seeing as that everyone has been masked there for years because of their air pollution. Thanks, God bless you, and keep the faith. Luann in Ohio, we got another, we got, what's up with Ohio carrying the uh, the voicemail load here, folks? You know, I mean, I love Ohio, but what about what about all of our other wonderful states from Team Buck? Huh? I'm, just, I'm just trying to goad you guys into making more phone calls, because producer Mark loves to stay up late at night listening to your, your voicemails, so... Uh, Luann, yeah, look, China, I don't think, China, I don't think we can, uh, probably can't listen to China's numbers on this one. I, I don't think we know how many people have been infected in China or anything else. So we got to keep an eye on, on that. And yeah, look, I, I'm, I don't say that masks don't work at all. I, I, I think that there is, there, you know, there's certainly reason to believe, especially if someone's, if it's if you're talking to somebody and, you know, it's limiting some of the amount of virus you put in the air, it might help. But to think that if only we were wearing masks, this would all go away. That's just crazy. I mean, otherwise, we should segment off, you know, some part of a city and run an experiment where every single person there wears a mask and, and see if it really is that protective of them. I don't even talk about this today on the show, but there's a, a Wall Street Journal piece about how and look, we don't like to talk about this in America, but. This is reality. You know, people keep pointing to Japan. They said, look at how well Japan handled this. We got a lot more health problems than the Japanese population. We just do. We have far more diabetes and obesity and a whole range of, uh, I, I would guess, asthma, though that one I don't know, but a whole range of health concerns that make us much more susceptible as a population, especially among the elderly population, to this disease. So not all, you know, we, we like to think uh, because, well, I shouldn't say we like to. We're always told by the libs we've got to pretend like all people are, are, you know, coming from the exactly the same health perspective or health background on this. It's just not true. It's just not true. Now, this is, has nothing to do with blame or anything like that. It's just we've got to deal with the reality. In America, we've got a lot more health problems. You know, we live, we live hard here, folks. We, you know, we're, we're eating a lot of. Cheetos and cheeseburgers and drinking some Jack Daniels and ice cream. And oh, man, that sounds fun. Producer Mark, you getting hungry? A little bit. What is your drink of choice? Um, like if you have to have an adult beverage at a bar, what do you go for? Not beer. Don't say not allowed. To, I'm not allowed to just like, say beer. Yeah, but I mean, I'm in like a drink drink. <sighs> I don't really drink hard liquor that often. Usually I, I haven't had. I don't think I've had hard liquor 
I don't know. I maybe yeah. had it a couple of times. Usually I have to be on vacation to drink hard liquor. If I do it at home, I just feel like I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, well, see, what happens with me is I go on vacation, I go somewhere warm, and I have a daiquiri or two, and I'm like, well, that's a nice, like, 2,000 calories. And then I go into, like, kind of a sugar rush slash food coma with the booze swirling around, and I fall asleep in the sun, get too sunburned, and spend three days rubbing that green aloe vera on myself indoors. Yeah. That's what I, happened. I learned how much I liked rum when I went to Jamaica for my honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should Bruce Mark came back. I was hoping he was going to have one of those little, like, the beads in his hair. <laughs> You thought my, I don't have enough hair to get braided, fuck. <laughs> but you know, when Michael Scott came back from uh, from Sandals yes. in the office and he had the little the little beads um, that they, you know, I don't know what they call that, but when they bead your hair. When they braid your hair. Bra- is it braiding? Yeah. Yes. But when, guy, you know, when guys come back, like, yeah, I was just in Turks and Caicos and now I've got braided hair. Uh, yeah, it is. It is what it is. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, we got another hit at Producer Mark. Go for it. Hi, this is Jane in Clifton Park, New York. I am sitting here listening to the show about you guys and who fuck wants to have play him in a movie. And you guys, we rarely hear producer Mark laugh right out loud. You guys are so perfect together. Your show is awesome. You are the voice of reason and you have intelligence. How about that? So we're still rooting for you to go to Del Rey. And um, I have friends who just moved to Austin, and they are trying to get out and leave as soon as they can. So, shield high, guys, and stay who you are, because you guys are awesome. Thanks very much. Bye. See, producer Mark Jane made the whole the whole voicemail box experience worthwhile in one in one message. Yes, she did compliment us. Yes. Well, she just liked that you called me Fat Thor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is arguably my best line ever. Probably. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Now, we do we go through all the voicemails for the, for today, Mark? We did. Okay. Okay. Well, if everyone wants to uh, send more, please do. Call in 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. And also, uh, remember, please go to BuckSexton.com. Our site is uh, growing and growing and growing every month. Um, but we we really want more and more folks to go there. The more we see you there, the more we'll write. Oh, I got to get the T-shirt stuff going. I forgot about that. But I, I got a lot of I got a lot of projects, a lot of things, a lot of things happening, a lot of things going on. Um, now uh, let's get to let's get to what we've got today in the roll call box. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com is the email address and uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you're on Instagram, especially if you're like the you know, Team Buck under 50 and you're on Instagram. Please follow me, Buck Sexton. Uh, we're doing more stuff there, more posts there. I'll do Instagram lives. I don't want to keep using Tallulah all the time in Instagram lives because then you guys are going to see my face and be like, we don't care about you. Where's the cute dog? But for now, I will say be interesting things and then you won't need the dog. Yeah, I suppose. For now, I will be shameless and uh, and continue to have Tallulah. Um, so, yeah, there we go. She's uh, she's very helpful. All that stuff. Roll call from Wade. First up, has anyone given any thought to Biden being a red herring? He's always being referred to as the presumptive nominee. What if they pull an October surprise and trot out someone more competent to run under the guise of Biden being suddenly unfit? The substitute could run with the benefit of not being thoroughly examined by our side. You know, Wade, I, I appreciate your thinking. Um, 
where, you know, I appreciate you're thinking outside the box. Uh, I, I don't think they'll do that because that's that's too risky. And I think um, I, I think that uh, they realize they can get Biden elected, even though he is who he is. It doesn't matter. They're just using the sheer muscle of the media, the Democrat Party and the mobilization of the left to push this whole thing through. No one even thinks. What, what does Biden even stand for? Nobody knows. Doesn't matter. Yeah, here I am. You know, I, I, I sort of uh, yell and I, you know, I, I, I'll I'll beat Trump in a push-up contest. And I kind of, you know, I kind of just, you know, you know, I'm yeah, man. I mean, Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, that's where it is. I was just curious. I just did a quick Google of red herring. According to MentalFloss.com, because I was I've never I, this is one I don't know. The actual origin of the of the phrase is traced back to the early 1800s. Around this time, English journalist William Cobbett wrote a presumably fictional story about how he had used red herring as a boy to throw hounds off the scent of a hare. Hmm. Hmm. Did you know that, Producer Mark? No, I did not. That's... I did not know that one. So it all comes from a story... I thought you know everything. A guy used... Yeah. A guy used smelly fish to throw dogs off the scent of something... Interesting. Interesting. A distraction. A distraction. All right. Q. Not to be confused with QAnon, which is being taken off the Internet all the time now. I'm always amazed. People reach out to me like, Buck, explain Q to me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why do I know about this? People always ask me, like, am I a part of the QAnon conspiracy in some way, folks? I don't know anything, I don't know anything about this. Like, I get emails sometimes. Buck, explain Q. Uh, he's the guy in the James Bond movies who makes the gadgets. Q, different Q, writes in. Hello, Buck. Unfortunately, I must take issue with your position on Karen's. Oh, yeah, no, I saw this one. Before I was a truck driver hauling goods all around this country, I spent 30 years working in restaurants. The name Karen has been used by restaurant workers for decades to describe the suburban mom dragging unruly children into a restaurant who is never satisfied, always needs to speak to a manager, and doesn't tip well. The name does not spe- is not specific to a certain color or political bent, but certain behaviors in a restaurant setting. Now it has been usurped. I'm open to suggestions as to what to call them, but until a good one comes along, I'm sticking with Karen. No offense to the non-Karen Karens. Shields high and roll on. Uh, Q, I didn't know any of that. So, Mark, had you ever heard that before? Yeah, I, I think it's always kind of been suburban housewife, but it doesn't necessarily matter what race or political creed is. It's just a snobby person. Yeah, I, hmm. I, I think, you know, whenever someone says, can I speak to your manager yes. in a way that's threatening, nine times out of ten, they're being jerks. Not not ten out of ten. Uh, once or twice in my life, I've had to be like at a restaurant, you know, eh, we got we got we got, we got to take this up the chain when something really egregious has happened. Um, but nine times out of ten, if you say, you know, and it, of course, when I say. And not can I speak to the manager? I have a return. I want to process. I don't mean that. I'm talking about when you people use can I speak to the manager as I might be going after your job now. So I hope you're on edge about it. And I, I've seen it. I, I saw a woman in a grocery store near me recently go in and say and she did. She did the Can I speak to the manager? And then she started complaining about how there's no security in the grocery store. And the guy was looking at her like, what? It's not a bank. And he didn't say that, of course, but I could tell he's looking at her like, what, what's your problem, lady? Because she said she had an argument waiting in line about a guy who wasn't social distancing enough. So you're seeing a lot of those kinds of, uh, of arguments pop up these days. She's like, where is your security? 
Why isn't there security in here? And he was like, because uh, we're a grocery store and we don't pay someone to stand and make sure that people aren't stealing roast chickens or something. I mean, what do you, what do you want me to do, lady? You know, like we got employees. We work here. That's all we got. Where is your security? All, all of a sudden, Hillary broke in. Ha ha. I will steal your turkeys. Hillary doesn't grocery shop for herself. Come on. We know. Of, co- of course not, dude. Of course not. She you barely grocery, grocery shop for yourself. Oh, that's nonsense. I love the grocery store. Oh, come on. Before the pandemic, you used to do uh, the online services. Oh, yeah. When it was yeah. easy to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the grocery delivery. I'm not going to lie. I cannot tell a lie to this audience. They'll send the groceries right to your door. That's always fun. But I, I do like sometimes being in the store when there's a good meat selection. That's, I like the butcher counter. That's where I and, and, and actually the seafood counter, too. And I feel like you don't get the same stuff when you order it online. Like they'll give you whatever they give you. I do like to pick uh, when it comes to my proteins. So there's that. But, yeah, no, you know, fair point. Delivery services are good. Jake. Uh, guys, you're causing a nuisance with today's roll call. It's interrupting my workout. And those around me, I am LOLing obnoxiously. Seriously, Fat Thor, Kung Fu Fauci, the hamster digression. Hilarious. Love you guys. Keep it up. Shields high. Well, Jake, we're sorry if we interrupted your workout, but we're glad we amused you. That was certainly our intent. And uh, I got to say, um, Kung, I don't even remember Kung Fu Fauci. What did I do with, what was Kung Fu Fauci? You were doing an impression of Fauci doing Kung Fu. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds... Everybody was Kung Fu Fauci. Like that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. James, mega dittos, love your show, and I have passed the buck to quite a few friends here in the Texas panhandle as you requested. James, who shares my first name. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. People who pass the buck uh, do me a great honor and make sure that producer Mark and I can still buy groceries. So thank you. Um, It is very, very helpful to us. And just think of it like if you get them listening to the show, then when when producer Mark says something particularly uh, funny and surly, now you guys will have you and your friends who listen to the show will have a, a point of commonality. And you could even borrow some of Mark's uh, commentary for your own, you know, your own purposes. So there you go. Everybody wins. Oh, he's got a question, though. My roll call question observation is what happened to Project Exile? It was something cooked up in the 90s, I think, to curb gun violence. Minimum 10 years added for gun crimes. It worked fabulously until the left freaked out and dismantled it in several states. Not sure if it was federal or just a recommendation to the states. I believe if it was in use, gun crimes would largely disappear. Um, I, I'm, I'm Googling this in real time. I've never even heard of this. If you catch a criminal in Richmond with a gun in a crime, the criminal has forfeited his right to remain in the community. The immediate federal prosecution and stiff mandatory federal sentences of five years exiled to the. uh, Okay, yeah, no, this is a real thing. Project Exile, U.S. Attorney's Office, Eastern District of Virginia. Um, Hmm. Interesting. I I had actually never heard of this before. So you just thank you for. Yeah, law enforcement marks 21 years of Project Exile in Rochester. Yeah, this is a thing. Well, it's basically stiff sentencing, federal sentences for people that are going to use gun crimes to commit violence. So that certainly can understand how that is what it is. And um, yeah, thank you for bringing to my attention. Felicia. Buck, you're talking about the Cuomo mandates on restaurants. 
Please include the bars and pubs. Many bars in New York don't serve food. They don't even have kitchens. This mandate is demanding bars serve substantial food also. These bars cannot serve food from other restaurants either. It has to be prepared and offered from the bars. So how does that happen? They've been closed for over four months now. No kitchens this is a total insanity. Felicia, you're totally right. I, I want to make sure we also include in, in the people we're trying to help and we need to get back to their business and their work, their livelihoods, bars and pubs in New York. I know there are bars that do not serve food and they are totally shut down as a result of all this. And it, it look, it's just madness. It's just madness. We've got to reopen this stuff. We've got to do it. But people, politicians don't want to take the risks and Democrats don't want things to improve. So those are two very powerful reasons for there not to be uh, a reopening. So Felicia, stand strong, shields high. Hopefully we'll get back to it and things will, I don't know, things will get better. I'm, I'm hopeful. Jar, in regards to federal law enforcement officers and their effectiveness, my department's 800 plus officer SWAT team is more effective and experienced than the regional FBI SWAT team. We regularly serve warrants for FBI, ATF, and DEA. I wouldn't be surprised if the same holds true in many larger departments. That being said, the feds are up to the task, no doubt. Yeah, Jar, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to compare every. You know, obviously, there's going to be local. There's going to be local law enforcement that has more elite units than some of the federal law enforcement units. I just meant that the the training and, and the training and equipment budgets of federal agencies, generally speaking, is going to be much larger then uh, the local law enforcement budgets will be just because federal versus local. That's the way it is. Uh, you know, in my own experience, just even the health care I had when I worked at the CIA versus the health care I had when I worked at the NYPD. It was like going from a mansion to a to a shack in the woods. Uh, and it was just a, a function of money. So that being said, Jar, keep up the good work. Tell your brothers and sisters out there and your uh, SWAT team. Thank you for what they're doing. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, man, I'm actually uh, I'm going to be off on Monday, team. I want you to know that in advance because uh, I'm, I'm going away with the family for my dad's birthday for the weekend. So we are going to have my man, Mike Slater. You probably know Mike Slater. If you know the first, he is a, a great host out in uh, out in san diego uh and he is going to be taking over my show on monday uh, he's going to be running the freedom hut really nice guy really good guy so certainly worth uh your time to tune in and listen but i'm going to be out monday planned vacation just want you all to know that um so that's that's just a, a heads up on the logistics there i i need uh i need a long weekend it's been it's been a long six months or so of pandemic content production and uh i i definitely am looking forward to the weekend i'll be with the family so that's uh, that's where i'm that's where i'm at i'm gonna be <laughs> if i wasn't fat thor before i'm gonna be at the end of this weekend just gonna lie around read uh eat a lot that is the plan michael uh next up here on roll call buck with the president retweeting you so much the dems are gonna put a target on your back but not to worry because we all hold our shields high with you well michael that's why shields high is so important we all got to do it for ourselves and do it for other good people out there. Good patriots. We've got to take care of each other. Um, yeah, I've had I've had crazy libs in my mentions like you wouldn't believe the last couple of days because 
eight eight retweets from the president in a row. It's like the president's Twitter is your Twitter for for that morning. And uh, yeah, it has been uh, it has been interesting. One of the guys from uh, one of the law one of the Law and Order spinoffs is like, yeah, blah blah blah, politics. I was like, look, no one's writing your lines now, doofus. I don't I don't need to hear it from you. Uh, I can't remember the guy. It's one one of those guys. Um, anyway, actors. I, I swear. Oh, sometimes the only people dumber than TV news anchors, uh, for the most part, are are actors. Uh, John Shields High, real news fan. It only makes sense for all the Democrats in media to keep pushing mask wearing and lockouts to play on people's fears. They won't go to very public places and vote in November. It'll be interesting to see how quickly the masks and lockouts vanish the day after Trump is reelected. None of us should be shocked to see the lengths they will go to to get their ways. Commie bear lives. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's true that they that their plan down the line is going to be um, very obvious when they let us all out. You know, I, I do think that's the case. So it'll be right after the election and there'll be a big uh, there'll be a big exhalation if from their side, if uh, Biden wins. And all of a sudden, we'll be able to have a real conversation about, uh, you know, opening the country again. Mark writes, uh, this is on Instagram. Now, remember, follow me on Instagram at Buck Sexton if you want to see Tulu videos and fun things like that. Uh, Mr. Buck, you're awesome. I listen every night when I drive. I drive a tractor trailer for UPS from Fresno, California to Ontario, California every night. You keep me sane and awake. Shields high, brother. Keep up the great work. Mark. Honored to keep you company while you do that important work, my friend. Thank you for what you do. Making sure that logistics, as we know, amateurs talk strategy. Professionals talk logistics. Making sure that logistics keep on flowing. People can get their stuff. Businesses can thrive. Thank you so much, Mark. Shields high to you. Anthony writes in, Buck, I listen to your show every night. I'm a cop in upstate New York who works 1600 to 0000. Uh, I make my trainee listen too. good. Anthony is forcing the passage of the buck to his trainee. Thanks so much for writing in, man. And he says, keep fighting the good fight. Anthony, Anthony, I appreciate it, brother. Good. Um, good uh, stuff. Thank you so much. Let's see here. Tom writes in your dog reminds me of a cat. <laughs> OK, well, my dog is a dog. So there How about that. Randy writes, love the pics of Tulu. Uh, thank you. Yeah, man, I, I think that uh, there will be some uh, additional pics of Tulu. So uh, got to follow me on the Insta on the gram on the gram. Sean writes, please run for office. Sean, I have too much fun in the Freedom Hut. And what is producer Mark going to do? He doesn't want to be a press secretary. That's going to be annoying for him. He's going to have to actually get out of his pajamas to do his job. That's going to be the show for everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great weekend. I'll be back with you Tuesday. Shields high.